Hello. Leo Sayer, it's Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix. Hello, Leo. Ah, you bad boys. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody wants to work. Nah, 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 me. Everybody's got to work. Oh, no, not me. Everybody has to work. Nah, nah, not me. I'm not me. Hi, welcome to another edition of Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is. My name's Kevin Hillier. His name's Brian Mannix. That's why we call the show that. Hello, G- Brian. G'day, Kev, and uh, g'day to you listening, and uh, g'day to me as well. I'm thinking of me. <laughs> well, it's called the life of Brian. You're allowed to be, you know, um, yeah, omnipresent um, or whatever it's called. Get well soon. I'm thinking of me. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, and now you're sending Hallmark cards to yourself. That's a worry. Well, it is. Now, are we going to talk about your bowels again this week, Kev? Uh, well, I hadn't brought it up, so I don't think we were. No, none of the people on the show called me while I was in the toilet uh, this week. We have a, a, nah. a, a, we're not going there, so we have two terrific guests on the program this week. So they are absolute rippers. That's reserved specifically for Alice Cooper to yes. call you on the toilet. Alice okay. is the only one who's allowed to call me on the toilet. You reckon <laughs> I haven't uh, spent uh, the last couple of weeks with people referring back to that, in particular <laughs> our very good friend Mark Lane from Murcotts who just keeps sending me email messages saying, oh, Kev, I know you're on the toilet right now, but I'd just like to remind <laughs> And then he had a conversation with me about the way we talk about, uh, about uh, and he's right, you know what we shouldn't say? What? The one thing we say, we say, and you say it and I say it, if you're a shit driver, you need to talk to Murcotts. <laughs> well, guess what? What? No one thinks they're a shit driver. <laughs> Everyone thinks right. they're a good driver. That's Even good... the shit drivers think they're good. Well, if you're a good driver, you exactly. should go and talk to Murcotts. Because then you'll be a better driver. That's a very good point. Nobody thinks they're a shit driver. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> no. Everybody thinks they're good at it and they're know? not. Even, even when you have an accident with someone and you get out of the car and go, mate, what were you thinking? They go, oh, you know, I, 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 I've never had an accident before. What well, do you have now, you dickhead? Maxie War used to comfort me when we'd be driving. We'd be doing about 140. He'd have the chair cranked back like a Jason McCliner. Oh, yes. And he'd be practically lying down while he's driving. <laughs> That's the Wilbur Wild school of driving. <laughs> yeah. And I'd go, mate, slow down. You're going to crash a second. Mate. I've never had an accident that was my fault. <laughs> oh, I felt so much better. He had accidents, but it wasn't his fault. <laughs> uh, as they said, you know, as they go, as they're rushed in the ambulance to the hospital, they're going, well, it wasn't my fault. It so that's the... okay. I've broken my leg, but uh, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> it makes all yeah. the difference. So yeah. the point here is give Murcotts a buzz on 1300 555 and uh, visit their website, murcotts.edu.au. If you're a good driver, Driver and you'd like to be better. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're a good driver, you can go. If you're a shit driver, you, you, you don't you're think denial. you're a shit driver, so you're in denial. <laughs> We're going to have a special group set up. <laughs> Just, all the drivers are in denial about their own actual driving ability. Oh, goodness me. Hey, we've got two great guests. Grace Knight's going to join us a little later on from uh, Eurogliders, who is just She's an a- absolute gem. She's a great girl and uh, very, very, very talented, but also got a really, really good heart. Yes. 
Yes, yes lovely lady. Yeah. Uh, we had her on the Food Bites podcast recently and she was an absolute scream on that. So She's um, pretty funny. Oh, she is. You're in for a treat uh, when Grace cook? comes up. We didn't talk about cooking with her, did yeah, she? Yeah, she can cook a bit, yeah. Can she? Yeah, she's a very she talented uh, seamstress. Yes, very much so. We're going to talk about that too in a tick. Yeah. But first up, uh, a mate of yours, and we're going to relive a couple of lovely moments that uh, you've had with this man. And uh, as someone who, uh, you know, in 70s and 80s radio, I played this man's music to death because it was so good and everybody loved it and still does. Yeah, I was lucky enough to tour with him in uh, 2006 and um, I was rapt to get to uh, know this man because, um, you know, as you said, in the 70s and 80s, you just get the hell out of his records. And, Absolutely. Um, to actually end up, you know, knowing him as a friend is a real bonus. You know, like how we are with Alice, uh, yes. Alice Cooper, Kev. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, let's get him on the line now because uh, I'm sure it's going to be uh, an absolute hoot. Ladies and gentlemen, get did, ready did, because our guest this week, what? Did you do the number for Mercots? Yeah, I did. one three hundred five 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 seven six. Okay, for all the good drivers. You're a shit co-host. <laughs> but but I don't realise I'm a shit co-host. <laughs> all shit co-hosts think they're good. <laughs> <laughs> Makes all the difference. Let's, yeah. let's hit the phones. Let's hit the phones and see what happens. Hello? Leo Sayer, it's Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix. Hello, Leo. Ah, you bad boys. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you going? How you doing, Brian? Very you good? good. Yeah, good, mate. Good. Surviving just... the pandemic? Oh, look, was, all you can do is just, you know, deal with it as best one can. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, you have to take it seriously. Man, but it's like there's a bit of kind of uh, crazy reactions going on. The last time I saw you... We were yeah. on a Learjet together flying to We Warnable. were, we were. <laughs> How cool was that? Yeah, you know, it was a great day for me. I'm sitting here in, in this Learjet, sitting next to Leo Sayer. Russell yeah, Morris absolutely. is sitting opposite you, you and Jim Keyes, as you do. Yep. And I'm thinking... Oh, the late Jim Keyes. We miss him. He's a oh, lovely fella. What a great bloke. Bless him. But I was sitting there that day thinking, gee whiz, when I was 14, if somebody had told me I'd be going on a Learjet with Leo Sayer, Russell Myers and Jim Keyes, I, I had to pinch myself. It was great. Yeah, well, you know, it's like these things happen. You never know where you're going to be, do you, in this life? No. It's you crazy don't. how it turns it up. I mean, who'd have ever thought that Brian Mannix would be doing a podcast? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Managed to get him out of the pub, I mean, for long enough to do it. Yeah, yeah don't bet on that. He's very hungover, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> Every single day of his life, yeah. Well, I'm used to well, it. Well, look, the drugs we took in 1977 are just kicking in now. <laughs> <laughs> you're fit, you're, you sound fit and well and happy, and uh, uh, you sound really good. Yeah, I'm just heading up to 73 in May. Get out. And um, it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? But I mean, I'm feeling, you know, as, as fit as a 20 year old, really. Um, okay, I've, I've had my run ins with the health. Department. Yeah, yep. I've um I've got three stents from a a heart problem I had a couple of years ago, mm. but uh, it doesn't seem to worry me. And I've got a, a dodgy gut, which means I can't really 
um, do milk and coffee and tea anymore. Can you do scotch and beer with the cooked tummy? I certainly can, yes. Oh, as that's long okay. as it's good quality whiskey, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You don't need a cup of tea. Good whiskey will do it. <laughs> yeah, and to celebrate the virus, I'm mostly drinking Corona beer these days. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it must be nice. You're going to get back on the on the road again. Uh, it, 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 yeah, yeah. We already be. had a little foray in. I did a gig at St Kilda near, near you guys yeah, yeah. Um, for this April Sun festival that they had going on outside the Palais on the beach there, and that was fun. Marsha Hines did the support, and that was lovely because she's an old mate. And uh, first time I got together with the band since November 2019, and that was also in at the Athenaeum in Melbourne in, in November. But, yeah, we are, we, we are back gigging. I mean, you know, the rules are allowing it. It was so nice to get together with the band again, and I'm looking forward to getting together with the, 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 the Apia boys as well. We, we kick off... Um, hopefully (laughs) in Perth, in Bunbury actually, and then Perth, and then we fly to Adelaide and get into the the nitty-gritty of the tour. And this one's going to be fun because we've got eight different acts on the tour. Oh, yeah? I mean, where do you fit in the hits? It's huge. I think we're all doing three numbers each, and they're all duets. How do you you only pick three? I mean, it's like choosing your children. You've got got bloody millions of them. Well, I did offer up a medley, but I think they were all shocked at that. <laughs> um, you know, it would have been about nine songs, you know, in about two minutes. But <laughs> but they, I think it freaked them out a little bit too much. So, yeah, no, it's 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 all cool. It's all very fair. And, you know, I, I'm picking – well, they've picked When I Need You, uh, You Make Me Feel Like Dancing, and Long Tall Glasses. Oh, okay. perfect. And, and really nice, I'm going to do Long Tall Glasses with Brian Cadd playing piano. Which oh, is um, nice. lovely because uh, he knows the song very well, and um, and we've done it before. I think at Chucky's birthday party out in Phuket, which is another story. Hey, I don't know if you're aware of this, Leo, but uh, but uh, you and uh, you and Brian have something in common that goes back to your early, early, early days. In that you're both altar boys or former altar boys. That's true, That's and both friends of Clint Walker as well. Clint Walker. Do you remember when we saw that sign? We're walking past, and the spelling, the, the way it was written on the, on the, with the chalk, wasn't very good. And I think we misread it. Brian and I are good Catholic boys. Well, that's where I got. You my can f- only imagine how we were young, you know. <laughs> that's where you got your first stage experience. You know, you go to. I know. You get it's up incredible, and- isn't it? I have this. Somebody came up with this. Um, they, 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 they saw the quote that I'd made. My first record that I bought was a Jerry Lee Lewis "Great Balls of Fire" mm. as a single, and uh, I remember. And, and I and I must have told this journalist that I stole the money from my mother's purse. Oh, and my dad, when I brought the record back and put it on the record player, <laughs> he he literally lifted it off and threw it into the garden. He said, "I'm not having any of that heathen stuff in my house." <laughs> so this is. <laughs> this is how we grew up, you know. It was like rock and roll was the devil. Yeah. And that's what probably brought me and Brian towards it, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I have no doubt about Brian. I've got a little higher, <laughs> higher set of values for, with you, Leo. Um, oh, yeah, look, it's all image. I'm a naughty boy underneath it always, yeah. Brian knows. Oh, I do. So, you know. And, 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 and it was thrilling to, to break rules when we were young. Because oh, yeah. My generation came from a very dull background, a, a very dull time in England where really, I mean, okay, we've got conservatism now around us everywhere in the world taking over, but it was so conservative in those ideas, that in, in those days that no creative ideas very much existed. I mean, thank God for the Beatles and, and people like that who, 
who who really went against it. But I mean, if you think about the Beatles, they were a they were a bunch of good Catholic boys as well who went to Germany and played dirty rock and roll in a nasty <laughs> little club, and it all started there. You see, so it's like it is a, a form of rebellion what we do. Yeah, yeah. I reckon um, smoking was much more fun when you weren't allowed to do it. You know, there you go. You'd exactly. Sneak out and have a smoke, and then when you're allowed to smoke, it lost half its appeal. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. And it seems to me, I don't know about you, Brian, but mm. it seems to me that we we've gone in a full circle because we seem to be back to time when kids are so conforming these days, you know, to everything and 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 taking everything they're given rather than inventing something new. So we've lost all those movements like punk and, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know, mods and rockers and all of those, the hippies, everything like that. So it, it's it's hard to keep, like, I listened to your interview with Richard Clapton, which was beautiful. Um, he's a lovely cat and I, I really love, I love, love Richard to death. And he was talking about, you know, going back to those hippie times and what yeah. they meant to him and how important it was. And, and that's his revolution in a way, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, so are, you, are you doing any new music, uh, Leo? Or Well, would you believe I've been I busy during, during the COVID times. <laughs> um, I've got a new project which is coming out the end of this year, later this year, called Northern Songs. Hang on, Kevin doesn't believe you, Leo. It's me doing the Beatles. And, oh, um, Wow. Yeah, and it's like 19 tracks or so. I've been working on it like mad for actually a few years, really, but I've, I kept it under the wraps because I thought nobody's going to be interested. But then when I played a few tracks to different people, they said, you've got to release this. So I finished it off, and um, that's nearly ready to roll. Now, so, you've, done, um, you've done the Beatles before, though. Remember that? Remember, I, I remember you doing, <coughs> you did, did you do Let It Be? And you did. I did Let It Be as a single, yeah. Yeah, that was a ago, Christmas 75. single? Was that a Christmas yeah, single? Yeah, it was a Christmas single, 75 or so. And yeah. then I, I did a project called All This and World War Two, which was it. Uh, ah, orchestral yeah. versions of um, the Beatles. Like we did Long and Winding Road and I'm the Walrus and every, all, every artist in the world was yep. on this, uh, this soundtrack album, and, which became a movie. Called all this in World War Two, which bombed, yeah. absolutely bombed. It was spectacularly first, bombed. Spectacularly bombed. It was like Second World War footage in colour, uh, which they just discovered at the time, um, and set to the Beatles' music, and a, a very worthy idea. I mean, the Bee Gees were on it, Peter Frampton, Rod Stewart, yeah, yeah. David Essex, me, but the whole bloody world. Yeah. Alice Jeff, Cooper, Jeff Lynne didn't but, know him, man. I think. Jeff Sorry? Lynn? Did Jeff Lynne do Nowhere Man on that? He did. He did. Yeah. Well spotted. Yeah. yeah. A, a fantastic version. And I think that's when I remember talking to Jeff at the time, and that's when he decided that he was, really was going to hone in on the Beatles um, as his new as his new thing. And uh, I think he phoned up George Harrison out the blue, and all of a sudden he was kind of like doing the Beatles thing with George, you yeah. know, yeah. and yeah. producing George, you know, so. So what what Beatles song do you, I mean you don't have to tell us if you don't want to but have, have yeah, you have no, you, no, it's all right. Have you done big Beatles songs or are they, are they Yeah they are but they're all done in a very very different way. If you can imagine Michael Jackson's Beat It meeting Eleanor Rigby. Wow. That's wow. kind of the flow of it. And and Can't Stop Love uh, sorry sorry not Can't Stop Love that's one of mine. Um Can't <laughs> Buy Me Love all oh. slowed down into a kind of bluesy, you know, I buy you down ring my friend. Oh, and oh, um nice. Some of the songs, like Yesterday, is almost Cuban, and um, they all sound so different, you know. You're right. The drugs Um, from 1977 are just kicking (laughs) They are. They they certainly are. But, you know, it's lovely getting a chance to do something like this. And um, 
and nobody's kind of governing me these days or telling me what to do. Record companies, uh, you know, I've got this record company in England, Demon, and they just, I, I told them about this, and they just said, great, we'll release it, without <laughs> even hearing it. But then they heard it, and they said, great, we'll release, we'll release more of it. <laughs> so, so, so I seem to be in this nice position of maybe, I don't know what it is. You, you, you get to sort of, you know, you get to, you get to earn a position in this business once you've made a lot of records. And so had a few you hits. should. Yeah. yeah, and it's nice, and I'm a, I'm able to make you know lots of people always have ideas for you, and you should do this. You know they keep going on at me to join the the remake of Skyhooks, but I mean I wouldn't do that to Shirley. It was yeah. too special. Yeah, I don't I don't like those kind of things. You know where they remake all the bands and with different people. Yep. So um so I'm able to do what I like, and and uh, and it's really nice to sort of put together a project, and and also there's no musicians on it. I've just done the whole thing myself. So oh, all the wow. sounds and all the samples, everything. Wow. Which, okay. which I love doing because I've got this studio in the Southern Highlands here and it's just like a workshop. And, um, yeah, I did an album a couple of years ago called Selfie and I did that all by myself, hence the title. Selfie. <laughs> <laughs> I took a selfie. <laughs> well, one of the things about uh, your show, uh, Leo, which is just fantastic, yeah. it's, um, you're one of the few people I don't want to go on afterwards or before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> most people I go, yeah, bring it on, but not you. No, you can do it, Brian. <laughs> because, you can, you, you, no, you're great you, on stage as well. You really know how to yeah, charm the audience. You've got a repertoire of songs. Like every song yeah. is an absolute killer in your set. Yeah. Did we, were they given to you or did you choose them or you wrote, I well, know I you wrote think, yeah, a lot of them. A good question. I mean, you start off as a songwriter, so you basically are writing material often, not only that you think will be good for a record. I mean, some of it just comes out automatically anyway and you find yourself writing a song and you don't know where that came from. But a lot of the time you can be constructing songs that you know would be great on stage. And songs like Long Tall Glasses in 1974 came along like that. Right. I needed something that was really going to be a great bluesy kind of rock and roll groove. So doing that and getting it together in that style with my co-writer, David Courtney, we both said, oh, this is a great song to sing live. So, you know, you build up that collection. I think the only other person I know who consciously does that is Bruce Springsteen. Because when I used to get together with him many, many years ago, not these days, um, he would always say, I write so many songs because they're going to work on the road. Yeah. And and I said the same thing, you know. So we both shared that between us, that um, we were trying to get material that would really be dynamic and work, you know, like in Long Tall Glasses when you stop the band halfway through. You know, look, these yeah. little devices become great stagecraft, you know. Yeah. So is Long Tall Glasses you wrote in the studio, didn't you? Yeah, it just came out. Yeah, I mean, we had a groove that we were working around with, and I was just thinking, you know, it'd be great if we could write a song around, dum, 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 you know, the usual kind of yeah. bluesy riff. Yeah. But, um, but you know, to try and make it really creative. And Dave came up with this, da 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 David Courtney, my co-writer. Uh -huh. And um, we, I, I just started singing. And, and I don't think that I had any lyrics written down. It's happened a few times. Um, it just came out, you know, and then you just kind of clean it up afterwards, add a, add a verse or something, you know, when you've realised what the concept is about because you don't know at the time. You're just throwing something down just for a laugh, you know. 
So is it goal, and, um, is, is it galling for you that you, uh, one of your biggest, you know, some of your biggest hits were songs that you didn't write, or is that something that you enjoy as no, much? No, no, not at all. Yeah, no, okay. I mean, I couldn't write those sloppy, uh, those sloppy love ballads, really. <laughs> I, I, every single time I tried to do it, I'd come up with something that was just, uh, yeah, a little bit too, almost too sad. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't have that craft. But, you know, great writers like Albert Hammond with When I Need You and, you know, um, uh, that song, Have You Ever Been In Love by Andy Hill. I mean, mm. you know, they're, they're just, you, you want to sing those songs. They're yeah. fantastic. But they were usually given to me and suggested. I mean, I must admit, I found When I Need You by myself. It was in a uh, a, a box of tapes. And we were in Los Angeles in 1976. And Richard Perry didn't really like my songwriting too much. Um but, you know, basically he just sort of said, well, you know, you've got to find some songs that we, we're, we're both agree that we want to cut. So I used to stay up at night listening to demos and demos and demos. And this one really shone through. It was a bit special. And I, and I loved the words, really. I mean, I tried the words out on my ex-wife, Janice, and she was back in London and I was in L.A. In those days, the, the transatlantic phone line was bloody awful. You get this delay, you know, yeah. when you're talking and interference and oh I kept going there. so anyway I just recited the words of the lyric of the song and she cried on the other end and I thought hang on we got a winner here yeah. that was the end of the marriage was it <laughs> it, it, it didn't last that much longer but, you know, <laughs> no but it's 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 amazing you know it's it's like the classic long distance love song of somebody who's not there you know the old um, in England they used to have this thing the British forces radio you know Rather. and they'd and and they'd sort of like play to the troops way out in the desert or Gulf War or something like that, you know. And it would be, what songs do you most request? And the most requested song of all time on there is When I Need You. It's a great song. And that's always, you know, the, the wife at home or the girlfriend at home, you know, wishing to convey her her feelings to her her soldier boy who's who's, who's out there, and, and that's the song. Yeah. You've got a great understanding of uh, of lyrics and songs, Leo, and I yeah. just I just wonder if you could tell me what Marsha's song "Your Love Still Brings Me to My Knees" is about. <laughs> what, is she, what is she What is she going on yeah. about there? You know, your she, love you still know, brings me to. The first version of that she heard was me doing it. <laughs> and, and isn't that ironic? No, I mean, you know, boy, what a position to find yourself in. <laughs> <laughs> That was an old Dusty Springfield song. Great song. Yeah, it's great a, song. I just it just conjures crazy images yeah, in my I'm head. Sure. It would right. with you, Brian. Yes. It really would. Unbelievable. <laughs> hey, can I ask you? I've been reading about you know all the things that you've done, and you've done God knows you've done everything. Meeting Fred Astaire. Wow. Oh, that was pretty cool. Uh, I'm trying to remember her name. She was. It's a chat show in in America. Oh my God, I can't remember her name now. Um, anyway, she was the Colgate girl on American TV. Now, it'll come to me in a minute. She had big teeth. She <laughs> <laughs> probably. He'll <Yeah, laughs> say Mr. Ed in a minute. Uh, anyway, anyway there was this chat show, and, and, and the lady on the chat show, I'll have to look, I'll have to look it up, um, really loved, you know, she loved my songs and everything. And my birthday was coming up, and I was scheduled to go to the show um, uh, on my birthday. And I think I protested to the publicist or whoever and said, no, I want to have my birthday by myself. And they said, no, no, you've got to do it. And they kept pushing me to do it. And I kept saying, well, I really want to be doing a TV show on my birthday. I just want a day off, you know. We're very busy in those days in LA. So um, Dinah, 
Dinosaur. Dinosaur, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dinosaur, the Colgate girl. That's it. Came to me. Thank God. Um, So (laughs) Dinosaur, anyway, her show was on, and they press-ganged me into doing the show, and I was really, really against it. Uh, Just one other day off, so I was in a miserable fucking mood. And sorry to swear. That's good. um, (laughs) Just don't say miserable again. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Beep. So, um, So I was in a miserable mood, and who walks into the dressing room? But Fred Astaire, Ooh. my bloody hero of all time. I mean, I, those Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire movies, right? Yeah. I just used to love all that stuff. It was so dreamland, you know, the whole thing. It was it was just a world where everybody sang to be happy and danced, you know. And then he walks and he says, I, I'm here I'm, I'm, I'm to sing you happy birthday. And I went, what? Ooh. So on the show, he sang me happy birthday live. Wow. wow. How about that? So that kind of, my reticence of not wanting to go into the show became absolute glorious. You know, yeah. I, I I, just had the best day ever. And and we went to dinner afterwards and he told me lots of stories. He was getting on me. He didn't live for about, an, I think an, a, a year later he died. But at the dinner table, he just told me amazing stories about making those movies. And his memory was incredible. Told me all about Gene Kelly and Ginger and all the adventures they used to have, you know, and it was fantastic. I, I've been very lucky. I've often been in the right place at the right time, you know, and um, sometimes people think I'm egotistical when I'm talking about it, but I, I have been lucky. I've just been amazing. I had these amazing – I mean, I once walked onto a plane and Muhammad Ali was oh. the only person in first class, and I had to bribe them to let me go and sit in first class. And when they told Muhammad that I was – it was me – he said, oh, bring him in. I want to talk to him. Oh, because wow. it turned out he trains to my song. So oh. we we became, for a short time, we became good mates, you know. And so I'm running around the world, you know, telling my friend, oh, oh my mate, Ollie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so these are, the, these are the weird things that come to you. I think, I think sometimes if you throw yourself at life, and I certainly did. Also, I've got to say, I had a very adventurous manager, Adam Faith, who was a bit of a, yep. he was a pop singer, you'll remember, yep. from the 60s and yep. all of that, you know, what did you want to get down with money? What did you want to get down Sang in that sort of Buddy Holly style. Yep. And, um, but he'd done everything. He'd been a film star and everything. So he was completely fearless. And he took me under his wing and, and I was his protege and he just, oh, he just presented me to the world, but he wasn't scared of anything, and 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 he imbued me with that. You know, mm. I I could walk into a room with famous people and just go up and shake their hands because I didn't have any fear. You know, most people think, "Oh, I'm not supposed to be here," and they'll hide behind the pillar. But no, not me. Yeah, was there was there ever any times when it did uh, when when the uh, the Richard Perry time seems to be yeah. one that that I don't think it sits well with you. So am I right in thinking that that's how that kind of worked out a bit? Well, look, I, I enjoyed it so much at the time because I got to I got to play in in America with A class musicians. Oh, I mean, yeah. really, the best guys in the whole world. So at that time, and and still, I think, you know, and I had the fun of discovering a young guitarist called Steve Lukather and bringing him into the fold, and you know, there were lots of kind of amazing things that happened just because I was suddenly hanging out with some really cool people. So what do you do? You balance up the fact that, you know, the the producer's a bit straight and it's not really what you want to do, but at the same time, you're hanging out with all these really cool people. So I just tried to make the best of it. And yeah. I think 
maybe the best of it was like the jam session that led to You Make Me Feel Like Dancing uh, and some moments in that. Thunder in My Heart, I still think is a great track. You yeah, know? me too. Um, and so I got a chance to, in the middle of all of that, there were, you know, there were three albums that probably were not totally my style, but at the same time in it, there were some highs, you know, so I got that out of it. And, and, and it taught me how to make records because making records with Richard Perry and later with Aretha Mardin as well, who did, you know, the Beach Boys and Aretha Franklin, hanging around those guys, everything that they did rubbed off on me, their techniques. So that's, it wasn't time wasted, if you like, yep. you know. yep. But, it, but you're right. Looking at it, it seems a strange period of my yes. career because I kind of went against all of the kind of, I don't know, sort of ramshackle, rambunctious kind of style of the show must go on and long tall glasses and all those records. It, it just, and moonlighting, it just went into something completely different. And I think the audience was con- concerned, as it were, yeah. you know, for my well being because they thought I'd gone mad. <laughs> <laughs> at, at one point, um, did you get some financial advice off Mick Jagger? Uh, yeah, that <laughs> yeah. kind of went wrong. <laughs> yeah. I remember you telling me. No, there was a rogue. There was a rogue manager who advised the Stones and um, ended up, I don't know how I got to him, but somebody invited, introduced me to him. And he had this great, um, uh, yeah, record of all these wonderful things that he'd done, like setting up the Stones business and everything. But Mick forgot to tell me that it ripped them off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so one day he called me, and I think I called him every name under the sun. And since then, every time I've seen him, he's really humble. Oh, hello, Leo. How are you? <laughs> are you okay? Is everything all right with your life, Leo? <laughs> he's always so nice to me, you know, because he knows he owes me a bloody favour. Because <laughs> the word came that, you know, when I first went with this awful manager who stole everything, I mean, stole all my money, signed me to bloody contracts that I could never get out of all this sort of stuff, a real rogue. So, you know, and at first the word came down that, oh, Mick says, yeah, you've got to go with him. It's really good. So, you know, I don't know. These things happen in life, though. That was a bad period. Yeah. And um, look, over a 50-year career, because that's basically what it is, there's going to be some ups and downs. Look at the Beatles when they got ripped by Alan Klein and the Stones yeah. as well. Yeah. So, and, and when George Harrison lost all his money towards the end, with uh, Dennis, whatever his name was, um, who was his partner in films, you know, when he made all those Monty Python films. The, the guy walked off with yeah. all the money. Yep. These are the things that aren't often publicized, but, you know, it, it, I reckon a career, a good career, looks like the graph on the back of a hospital bed in those old cartoons <laughs> or carry-on movies, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's like a nice, it's like, a, it's like the Tour de France, it looks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So what's the one song? What's the one Leo Sayers song that you that you, you know, pride above it, I- any other? For whatever oh, I think reason. Giving it giving it all away. Oh, you yeah. know, um which I wrote for Roger Daltrey. Well, I didn't I we thought didn't you wrote really it for Mick Jagger. Yeah, we wrote it for ourselves, but Roger wanted Roger we were recording at Roger's studio and um Roger Daltrey the Who, of course. Yeah, and he liked the songs, and he said, would you write an album for me? And we both, David Courtney and me, we just went, well, yeah, hell yeah. He was the biggest singer in the world at that yeah. time. Tommy was really the main thing, you know, and they'd just done that. And I don't know, it was it was a fantastic moment. And he did a solo album and put that song out, and that was the first time I ever heard anything that I'd, I'd created on radio as well. I remember David Courtney and I sitting in the car listening to this thing going, wow, oh, wow. did we do that? 
you know. So it was an incredible moment. And and the song, the song basically is about, you know, I'm not going to get ripped off again. Is it like a, a, I won't get fooled again? You know, I know better now. I was just a boy giving it all away, but not again. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to do it. So it still runs through to this day. It's a song of like determination against the odds. And, and you know, you've had everything stolen from you, but you're going to, you're going to rise up again like a phoenix from the ashes, you know. So that's what that song's all about. So when I sing it today, it's still relevant. I keep thinking, yeah, you know, we got there. Yeah. It's a good feeling to sing. David Courtney, I think he produced uh, the Choir Boys in Australia. He did. He yeah. did. Run he certainly did. And and the Shantuzis. Because I was talking to him one day and he was telling <laughs> me about that Roger Daltrey album and he said that yeah, Paul yeah. McCartney yeah, well, um, was going to write a song for it. And that's, uh, that's correct. And they're all that's waiting for this big song from Paul McCartney. <laughs> and then oh. Paul finally comes in with the cassette and he's written a song called You Make Me Dizzy Dizzy. <laughs> and they, reckon they had the piano and he's playing. You can hear the goats in the background. <laughs> and then he's going, and he, do you make me dizzy, dizzy? And they're all sitting around listening and going, this is bloody awful. <laughs> and it, it wasn't really appropriate. I think he wrote, I think Paul wrote a couple of songs for Adam's solo album, actually, right. for, or did some things for that. And David went down to see him for that. And he got him, he hung around an extra day or so. And, and Paul would never stop playing. Because no. that's all he wanted to do. But they were up at the farm, yeah. yeah. And uh, he's telling me the story about it, David. And he said it was hilarious. And he just, he just, he sort of blindly recorded everything. But he managed to find out the tape about three or four songs in there. So got Paul to finish them. I don't think oh. the song went on the album, though, did it? I think they no, left, I don't think so. I think so. they no, left it no. right out. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that was a bit of a silly one. I think that Dave was probably just giving them what he had left. Right, fair enough. <laughs> to be, you know, Mark's a good Mark's a good mate, Mark Gable, um, and, um, yeah, he's told me that story as well, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, because Dave Courtney was down here for a while producing and living in, living in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Made some good records. Yeah. The fact that you uh, live here now, you've got citizenship in, what, 2009? Uh, 2008, yeah. Yeah, you obviously love the place. Oh, absolutely, yeah, really, really do. I, I just love I don't know, something about it's, it seems to suit my character and my character seems to suit the place. And I knew that the first time I came here in 1975 and we did that first tour and I, I, I don't know, I just sort of fell in love with the Australian psyche. Yeah. What do you think, Brian? I, I think, think I suit you're, you. You're Aussie Leo, mate. <laughs> I am an Aussie. You I, I was born Aussie. Aussie without knowing it. Yeah, you just. Yeah. <laughs> did you have to relinquish? Is, did you have to relinquish your deputy sheriff? No, no, no. I'm a dual citizen still. I, um, mind you, with Brexit and everything, I'd love to shuck it off. Yeah. <laughs> so, what about but, your, um, what about your deputy sheriff role in West Virginia? Did you have to relinquish I, that? Hey, I just found the badge the other day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a crazy thing. We had a we had a, this uh, mad, mad guy, Roger, who was a, a deputy sheriff up at Virginia City, and he used to come to see the shows in Vegas and Reno and Lake Tahoe when I was doing all those casino gigs. And um, he'd always turn up with a Derringer in his boot, you know. Um, it's one of those kind of characters. They as stop, you would. They, as you would, you know. I mean, they'd not let the guns in, but he always managed to smuggle something in. So, and we, he used to come backstage and we became mates and everything. And he taught me to shoot, gave me a Colt 45, which is nearly tore my arm off. And we'd go up to Virginia City, this beautiful little old gold town um, up there. And one day, the, the, the sheriff himself came along. He said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He said, we're going to induct you as a deputy. Wow. And I said, yeah, but I'm not a citizen. I don't have a green card. 
I don't really have any status here. I mean, I'm living here, but I don't really... And he said, don't worry about all that. We don't look at that in Nevada. (laughs) We'll give you full deputy status. So he said, you can go and arrest anybody. You can go and get a gun. You just show that badge. You can do anything. You know, and and you probably get you know discount on your hotel room as well. <laughs> well, if you pull out a gun, you tend to get it for free. <laughs> I think so. You know, it gives you a negotiating stance, they say in America. <laughs> so anyway, I've got the badge. I, I I think I'm still an official deputy. I mean, look, Elvis was only made an honorary deputy, so oh, I, I've even yeah. got one over him. There you go. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I don't know how I'd ever use it, but it's it was fun. And Roger and those guys, they were they were smashing. It was lovely hanging out there. Nevada's a great place. Hey, Leo, it's been uh, sensational catching up with you. <laughs> Fabulous that you're back on the road with this Apia uh, tour. I hope yeah, that, it's uh, going to be marvellous. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And all my mates are on the tour. You know, I get to duet with Wendy Matthews and, and Kate Sobrano and Brian Cadd and and get to hang out with my mate Joe Camilleri, of course, who we share the same birthday. You know, May the 21st, we'll be in Toowoomba, and um, we're both born on exactly the same day, exactly the same year. Oh, there you go. So we're both 73 that night, and we've done this before. In 2014, on the Apia Tour, we had a double birthday. We were up in Darwin on stage. Ah. So, And I kind of like the idea that I'm gigging at my birthday. It's nice, isn't it? Well, you like gigging on your birthday. You hate TV shows on your birthday. Yeah, I know. I didn't, I didn't like it. I think I've changed to the fact that I'm just happy to be on stage these days because you get to this age and you think, thank God I'm working. Yep. Yeah. And if and if Fred Astaire turns up for this birthday, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I will be in trouble because he'll be a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Leah, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been good lovely. Yeah, and Brian, when's some new music coming out? What are you doing? Oh, look, I'm, yes, I'm going to get busy. Um, I just was interested to see you said all your friends are on this tour. I think most of your friends are on this tour. That's all I'm well, saying. Well, there's one missing, isn't there? There is Mr. one Manics. missing. Your mate from the yeah. Learjet, he's not there. <laughs> He's not there, exactly, and Clint oh. as well. Put in a word for me, Leo. That'd be good. I certainly will. And lovely talking to you, boys. It's been a lot of fun. Ah, uh, you're a Thanks, ripper, Leo. Mate. You're a beauty. Fantastic. And enjoying the. I'm enjoying all your other podcasts. There's some funny stuff up there. Oh, you're Thank a champ. You. Good Thank on you, mate. You. Keep up the good work, boys. All right. Thanks, Leo. God and bless I'll you, see mate. you soon, Brian. We will do a duet. All right. That'll be great. Rebel yell or nothing. All right. He's the two shortest blokes cool. you'll ever see on stage. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, right. Leo. Cheers, guys. Had all my jewels, so I picked up my shoes and got up and walked away. Oh, I was just a boy, giving it all away. Worked hard and failed, now all I can say is I threw it all away Oh, I was just a boy Giving it all away Sail away Sail away Ooh Well, I know better now I know better now Giving it all Giving it all away I 
search for my nerves Well, only myself to blame See, I was just a boy And there was nobody else to blame I've done all I can now It's out of my hands Stand on my head and say Oh, I was just a boy Giving it all away Sail away Yeah, sail away Oh, I know better now I know better now Ain't gonna give it all away Oh, oh, yeah, yeah I know better now I know better now That is one of the great songs. What a lovely song and a beautiful version of it. It's been recorded by a lot of people, as, uh, as Leo mentioned, including Roger Daltrey, who they kind of wrote it for. That is Giving It All Away, uh, Leo say, uh, which he should be doing that one live on the Apia tour. It's such a good song. I reckon he would be doing that. Yeah, it's He's such got a great – his repertoire is great. He's got oh. – every song is a hit. Massive um, hit too. Like, yeah. <laughs> massive hit. It was huge. Uh, and good to have him on the program. Make sure you go and see him. Uh, check out those Apia dates. Uh, we'll put them up on uh, on the Facebook page so you can see when uh, Leo's coming to a venue near you soon. Now, our next guest, Mr Mannix, uh, you've got form with, yes. uh, with this performer as well. I do. I do have form with this one. Um, yeah, um, when we did the same two I was just talking about with uh, in 2006, I spent quite a bit of time with Grace and Bernie. Uh, in fact, me and Bernie and uh, Scotty Khan, and we went off to the movies to watch uh, Jack Black play a Mexican wrestler. So there you go. Okay. Oh, yeah. No Godzilla films showing that week, were there? No, unfortunately, no Godzilla that week. But, um, you know, we look forward to Godzilla versus Mothra coming up soon, I hope. And uh, an encounter with uh, with Grace at the breakfast table on that very tour is coming up as part of this conversation um, <laughs> that we're about to have. Uh, Eurogliders was a massive band in the uh, in the eighties. They had some, oh, geez, they had some big hits. Heaven was obviously the biggest one, but We Will Together. They uh, they had uh, heaps of hits. And we're going to talk yep. to the lady who was the voice of that band and uh, beautiful voice it is. Her range is fantastic. No, it's not, Kev. 
It's uh, not it's much on? of a range at all, actually. Oh, uh, really? Oh. Well, I just thought I'd be a shit co-host <laughs> and uh, say the opposite rather than agree with you. <laughs> but, but I don't realise I'm a shit co-host, so that's okay. <laughs> Let's get to Grace Knight before we get ourselves into more trouble. Oh, I'm a shit co-host. So, Grace, how did it all start? How did you get into music? Well, I think it was like a genetic thing. My family are all really musical. My dad was an opera singer and and my grandpa used to make recordings for expat Scottish people that had gone to Canada. Uh, my nana was a sobrano, I think you pronounce it sobrano singer or sobrani singer. And that was a woman who used to dress up in men's clothes when most of the men were at war and she w- and th- they would sing love songs oh. to a mostly female audience, I might add. So these were women dressed up as men singing love songs to women during the war. So there, there was a bit of music in my family. Okay. Sure was. Yeah. So did you did yeah. you do you go on a talent quest in England? Did I hear that somewhere that that's where you started <laughs> or is that is that a myth? No, no, no. That I well I mean I started long long before that. You know, we didn't have a television, so we used to sing around the piano like you know, like you see in the old movies, that that was kind of what we did for a little while anyway. Um, but I think I might have been, I don't know, 19 or something, and my boyfriend was teaching me guitar. Uh, I just started singing harmonies to his songs, and I thought that's what you were supposed to do when you play guitar. And then we did these talent shows. It was like a pub a national pub quest in the UK. I can't remember the name of the brewery. But we kept winning our, our heat, and, and surprisingly, and we got up to the semifinals and um, an agent came and offered us a job on a, hotel, a floating hotel, which was a decommissioned cruise ship in Dubai in 1977. Can you imagine what Dubai was like in 1977. So I had to um, drag my boyfriend screaming and kicking to the gig and to forego doing the – I I didn't think we had any chance of winning uh, this national competition, but I thought, you know, the chance of going to Arabia and working on a ship would be far more exciting. So I got my way and, and that was the beginning of it all. Could you get a drink in Dubai back then? Uh, well, we did, um, and yeah. I used to drink then. <laughs> so the thing was, when we were on the ship, which was owned by a Greek company, I think it was a Greek company called Chandris Lines, oh, yeah. uh, it was Greek law that, that um, prevailed. Having said that, we weren't allowed to you know, mix with the local people. We weren't allowed... You know, there, there were certain rules that we had to follow. Women had to move out of the way in the hallway if an Arab man was walking past. We had to make mm. room for him. And so we very quickly learned um, what we had to do, you know, the, the cultural differences from, you know, me, a little thief coming from London <laughs> and <laughs> and now going into, you know, a, um, a Muslim country. I had a lot to learn. Most of... All I had to learn how to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> 
from that, did you then uh, jump? Uh, do you, didn't you do a cruise ship uh, to Perth to visit your sister? And, and you... I did, and I'm, so I've done my first cruise ship in in uh, Dubai, and I'm thinking, wow, this is a great lark. You know, working on ships, I could go and visit my sister in Australia. I didn't have any money, and so I couldn't afford an airfare. So I thought, right, I'll get a job as a waitress on on one of these cruise ships. Went to do that with my with the same boyfriend because we also thought well, there's no way they would employ us as entertainers. But he did have his guitar in the back of the car, and they said, "No, we've got all our waiting staff. We're just looking for entertainers." Oh. And and I said, "Oh, just wait a minute. Just hang on. I've got <laughs> you covered, mate." <laughs> so the, the boyfriend went and got the guitar and. We did an, uh, an audition then and there, and he said, right, you got the job. And I think we probably just were just there at the right time and put a tick in this guy's box. It's like, oh, thank God, you know, that got that one sorted. So we got the job. But the, the uh, audience, which were um, 77-year-old or 70-year-old people, I should say, from the Women's Weekly World Cruise, hated <laughs> us. They could complete, and I don't blame them. Um, we were singing my boyfriend's songs and I wanted to, you know, put a gun to my head listening to these <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> but um, I was desperate, of course, to get to Australia and when after we were out at sea for a, a week or so, the uh, I can't remember what your boss is called, the purser or something like that, he said, look, can you, you know, can you change the set and do something that these um, older people would like? And we found a, an album of, called A Little Touch of Schmielsen in the Night. Oh, yeah. And so we copied the whole album, the whole thing, back, you know, <laughs> cover to cover. And they loved it. And I was like, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Got that sort. So then that got me over to Perth. And that was the beginning of a new life then. So you're living in Perth now. And how does the Eurogliders get together? My sister introduced me to Bernie Lynch. She was having a barbecue and he was there. And he said, oh, you know, I hear you're a singer. Would you like to come and sing some backing vocals on my new single? And I was like, what, in a recording studio? Oh, I'm sorry, the boyfriend and I had now split up. I was a free agent. I'll just backdate that a little bit. So then Bernie and uh, offered me this, you know, come and, sing on my record thing and um, so I went and did that and he plied me. I remember I, I didn't really drink very much but he plied me full of uh, stones, green ginger wine and Whoa. said it's good for my voice, he said. <laughs> I was so pissed. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> anyway, and that was the beginning of our, our wonderful relationship. Wow. So you realize I have heaps of success and stuff, and I happen to know this story, but I think it's one that you should tell. I'm going to talk about your ARIA Awards, your gold records and your ARIA Awards. You sold them all. I've got, I've still got some of the little, uh, you know, you've been nominated ones. I, I kept a few of those. But, uh, I, yeah, I did sell them for a couple of reasons. One is I think that they're very unattractive. Um, they're, well, they're these sort of sharp, pointy things. I, I don't feel like a lot of thought has gone into them or 
a lot of creativity. So it's, I guess what I'm saying is they're not something that I want to put around my house as an object of beauty. And when I when I received the award, then on that night I was completely overwhelmed. You know that I had been put in that position to to even get a reward, let alone receive it. So after a few years of storing my albums and things like that, and they just get you know sort of dust at the back of the wardrobe, I knew that the people collect these things, and so I could sell them and use the money to do bigger things that I might not have, you know, thought about doing myself. So, for example, I would have sold a a platinum album for a few thousand dollars, but that would have built a well in Bihar in India or another album, a gold album for something else would have helped build um, or put desks in a class in in a school in Kenya. Okay. so, so anyway, that, that's what I've done, and I and I've got I've sold most of my stuff, but as a means to you know uh, help others. Yeah, exactly. You know, were it a beautiful award, maybe I would have liked to have displayed it in my home. And then there would be kids without a drink in India and no desks <laughs> at the school in Kenya. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mind you, the school in Kenya is nearly finished. I'm so I'm really unbelievably excited and happy about this because I have asked some of my Facebook friends, you know, we, we're not close friends. We're, we, you know, it's like followers and fans. And I've asked them to get behind me on occasion and they've been amazing. So we've almost finished um, completing a school in uh, a place called Chepkinoyo. Hey, Grace, can I ask, where did the, when did your kind of social conscience awakened? Was there something particular that, that awakened that in you? Look, I come from a kind of labour background, um, so I guess there's always had that kind of social conscience. Without getting too deep, I, I come from a Scottish and Irish background. Both of these places have been hard done by, by the British historically, and so I think that builds um, a kind of sense of fairness in you. Mm. Uh, that you you need things to be just and fair around you. I do anyway. I don't like seeing unjust treatment for anyone. But, but when did my social, when did it kick in for me? When I arrived in Australia and I was allowed to stay here, and, and this sounds like a bullshit story, but it's actually true. I felt, in, even to this day, I felt incredibly grateful. I still do feel incredibly grateful that I was able to stay here um, because I was heading down a pretty precarious path before I left the UK. I, I kind of, the options open to me were, were pretty sort of slim and uh, being a, quite a gregarious person, I think I could quite easily have um, chosen the wrong path to go down. So by the time I got to Australia, there was a, such a joy here even uh, this this won't make any sense to you. I, well, I hope it does. Even the small thing like lifting your face when you're walking down the street in in the UK, we never did that. We lo- we used to look at the pavement, 
and and you didn't make eye contact with people on on um, public transport because it could have been perceived as being aggressive or what are you looking at or leaving yourself open for some sort of response. So I'd been used to, you know, looking at the pavement, looking at my shoes and not making eye contact. And then I come to Australia and I used to think people were a bit simple at first because they would say, G'day. <laughs> and I'd go, What? Well, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's a stranger saying hello to me. And so I picked that up with verve and gusto and I'd say hello to everyone. Morning. <laughs> Morning, and then I loved saying good day. <laughs> and and so when I came to Australia, I was allowed to kind of pretend that I was quite a different person to the person that left the UK, and I mixed with nicer people than the people I was, you know, hanging with at home, and and I learned through those people, people like Bernie, that um, you know, it's you can sort of create a nicer world around you if, if you can be a bit more generous to people. Yeah, that's that's a really nice it's story. A boring answer, wasn't it? <laughs> no. It's a really no, nice story. One of the most softest musicians I've ever met. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you call me a musician. I, I can't play a single instrument. I thought you could play sax. Well, no, this is Bernie. I have to answer this question. I get so embarrassed by it. Well, Bernie will, you know, give me an instrument and say, here, we need a solo. And for it, he bought me a harmonica. I, I can't play a harmonica. And he said, we need a solo in this part of the song. And then just hand me a, a harp. And then I'd go, oh. I can't play it. You go, go on. You'll find something. And so I would just scoot off and suck and blow and suck and blow until I've got a little bit of something that can then be looped and then it can have a chorus added to it. And and before you know it, I get a credit on the album as being a harmonica player or a saxophone player <laughs> or I, on our latest album that we've just released, um, I, he's, he's credited me as being a kalimba player. And I did play the kalimba, but I played maybe two bars, you know, <laughs> that, that were good enough to make a loop out of. <laughs> what is a kalimba? Yeah, I was going to ask too. Oh, what's a kalimba? It's an African thumb piano. <laughs> so you pluck it with your thumbs. An African thumb piano? Wow. Yeah. It's beautiful. I, oh, I'm going to go and get it now. Where is it? Here it is. Look, stay there. No, no, I've got it right. I was there. Listen. Hang on. Hey, Grace. There's someone at the door. Could you answer it? <laughs> right. That's enough of the That's cool. Up. That's a really cool sound. That's great. That's a great It's very sweet. <laughs> there you go. You're a kalimba player. Go with that. Don't yeah. knock that. Yeah, yeah. Plucking a thumb piano does not a musician make. So when so, did you when did you meet up with when when do you remember Brian Mannix? Oh, I remember avoiding him um, yes. at many of the uh, Aria Awards. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know when we actually. Act, oh my God! 
the countdown tour. Do you remember that? Yeah, the countdown tour. That was great. Oh, my God. My poor 13-year-old son sitting having breakfast with you and oh. I. When, well, I was sitting down having son, uh, sorry, having breakfast with my son, and you just walked in the door from the night before with black eye makeup <laughs> and mascara fucking dripping everywhere. And you came in, it was a Sunday morning, and everyone was very quiet and whispering to each other, eating their breakfast. And you like, Gracie, you old bastard! <laughs> and you shouted it across the breakfast room, and I went, oh, and my son's called Jackie, and I said, oh, Jackie, I'd love you to meet a friend of mine. <laughs> I actually can't, even even on your podcast, I can't repeat what you said. Oh, it was disgusting. Oh, God. But it was yeah. so disgusting I had tears just rolling down my legs. I mean, my eyes. Uh, well, I, well, I apologise for that. No apologies. It was quiet. It was very, very funny. Oh, and my son good. said to me, do you really know him? <laughs> and I said, yes, I do. And I'm very pleased to say that I do. <laughs> oh, goodness me. How you been doing this, these shows with uh, with Wendy, doing the, the Paul Simon songbook stuff? Yeah, yeah. Look, Wendy and I have been talking about, oh, wouldn't it be great if we did this or did that? And, we, and that's all we did is just, you know, keep mentioning how good it would be to do something. And then um, I thought, oh, I'm, you know, I'm so close to the end of my career. I'm not going to die wondering. I want to get out and do this and let's give it a crack. And it's just been the most incredible fun. It is re- because, you know, we're quite different performers, but it's so fantastic to sing these really brilliant songs with a brilliant band. We've got a fantastic bunch of musicians around us. I just can't wait to get and do the next show. Yeah. It's really good fun. What's your favourite Paul Simon song to sing? Do you know, I don't have one. I, oh. I don't have one. The, the, the hardest thing putting this um, show together was getting rid of the songs. Yeah. There's just so many. And there's no way that you can please, you know, there's, someone is going to come up and say, why didn't you play blah, blah, blah? <laughs> you know, we'd be there for, I don't know, three days, I think, if we sang his whole songbook. Yeah, you would. Cause He's a just brilliant a, writer. So you, you, oh, do you, do, you do the Simon and Garfunkel stuff too, I presume? Yep. Yeah, because yep. just the Simon and Garfunkel stuff, it'd be hard to just pick the songs from that, but then you've got all these solo yeah. stuff as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's great. He's got some great songs. I, I hope you do America. That's one of my favourites. Yeah, we me too. do. Yeah, me we too. do oh, do good. America, and we share the, we share the lyrics, uh, which is uh, not you know it, we're not sort of great um, using this bit and Wendy using that bit and we're actually together on stage supporting each other, which is really lovely. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a really great idea. Um, I'm just thinking about all of the songs. Crikey. Yeah, oh, my God, it. it goes on. And I, and as soon as I start mentioning them, you'll go, oh, yeah, and what about? Yeah. Oh, and what about this one? And it goes yeah. on forever. 
When was when was the last time you did a gig? I've only just started back. I've done a Eurogliders and a Grace and Wendy gig, a couple of gigs. Prior to that, I hadn't worked for a year. Yeah, yeah, it's been tough. Yeah. I mean, oh, well, not only on the bank account, it's been tough, but it's also, it's felt like my twin sister has kind of left town and I don't know when she's coming back. It's yeah, like, yeah, I know what you mean. This, this whole kind of part of me just ceased to exist. And, and I, I'm, it's not a complaint. I'm just telling you what, you know, what it felt like. Yeah. And, and, of course, that's up to me to deal with that. And, you know, as, is, as it is with every other poor bugger that's been affected by this. Uh, how's, the, how's the voice? The voice sound, sounds good. Is, uh, the-, uh, the voice is, is good. It's actually a, a little bit higher. We, we've got wow. yes, which I'm very surprised about. That is good. I think it's it must have been the big a big rest. Yeah. Or okay, well that's good. Yeah. Maybe it's Paul Simon stretching your voice a bit. Who knows? Yeah, or maybe it's singing gently. You know, I'm not yeah. bellowing Eurogliders songs out. <laughs> and you and you're still uh, seamstressing at a furious rate with your costumes and stuff. Oh my god. I am loving that, except I have gone into a whole new stratosphere altogether. I'm now printing fabrics. Uh, oh, hey, I haven't seen you, Brian, for a year. I've yeah. dropped 20 kilos in weight, I've, I've, on purpose, of course. And wow. so I've had to make a whole new wardrobe, uh, not only stage gear, but just my everyday gear, just walking around. Well, I'm congratulations really... on that, and yeah, congratulations twofold, because you're probably one of the few people that didn't put on weight during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we also gained a few pounds, but um, my partner and I, we uh, we got stuck into the diet, and we we just did what we were told, and the weight dropped off weekly. We kept a chart and watched it drop, and compared each other's weight loss. It was fun, actually. <laughs> well, you got to do something in the pandemic, haven't you? <laughs> well, yeah. The other thing was as well, you know, I'm not eating shitty roadhouse food or backstage riders or, you know, little biscuits and cakes that have been left backstage for you to munch and crunch. Yep. And you <laughs> have the, you you the drink, did you say earlier? I, I would use more wine cooking than I would drink in over the period of a year. But no, I had a beer, the third beer I've ever had in my life, uh, and it was called Asahi. Oh, and yeah. It, oh, and I loved it. It was absolutely delicious. But that's the third beer I've ever had. Japanese beer, yeah. Well, it, it's not so bitter and it's not – it's kind of quite nice. I liked it. Yeah. yeah, I don't mind the odd Asahi. I've had, been known to have a dozen or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, talking about drinking, I re- so you, you know, Brian, on our drink riders for our gigs, yeah. it'll say what the band requires. And so I like to have a gin and tonic while I'm putting my makeup on. Yeah. And I don't even finish it. I just, you know, sip at it and have maybe half a glass of that. And then I go on stage and I like to have a bottle of water and another gin and tonic, a fresh one, there on stage. And I'll, you know, sip the water and or sip both of them. Uh, anyway, 
My rider says two Tanqueray gin and tonics for grace. But what was happening were people were giving me two bottles of Tanqueray oh, gin. God. Oh. Yeah. And, and I would kind of look at it and go, really? Do you really think that someone's going to drink this and still be able to get up and perform? And I thought, well, I'm, they've already bought it for me, so I'm not going to complain. And I would just take it home. And, and then I remember on my 40th birthday, I had about 70 bottles <laughs> of um, or different sorts, Tanqueray and another one, uh, Blue Sapphire Gin. And I had them all laid out on this bench, and each of them had like one or two nips taken out of it. <laughs> <laughs> It was a great party, let me tell you. <laughs> I thought you were going to sell them and buy, a, a, you know, some more drinking water. I send them off to Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I kept that for myself. But Fair I did enough. have, uh, I did have uh, a bit of a, well, a bit of an annoying thing where someone gave me. Uh, once again, two bottles of Tanqueray gin and tonic. And then the next thing I heard, I had lost a gig, lost out on a gig that someone had booked me for because someone else that I had worked with told them I was an alcoholic. Oh! I drank too. And I'm like, hang on. And what upset me more than anything was not so much you know, that, that they were spreading rumours, but that I'd raised a shitload of money for this, this same people. We got 25 grand. Wow. Wow. And, yeah. And this was the same person that went off and and told um, the venue operator that had just booked me that I was an alcoholic and couldn't really be relied on. Oh. And, and I was like, mm, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, it's terrible. That is terrible. It's awful. That that's pretty bad. That's pretty yeah. bad. Hey, uh, Grace, it's been absolutely delightful to catch up with you. Thank you so much for your time. I wish I could have been a bit more rock and roll. No, you were. You were. No, you were All good. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, You're most Grace, welcome, guys. Have a great day, and I really look forward to seeing you. See you, darling. Bye. Bye. All right, Grace Knight, uh, love it to have Grace on the program. What a character. She is a beauty. She's fun. She's fun, she's talented, and thank God she was here. And she's touring, and uh, we'll have those dates up on our Facebook page as well. You can uh, check those out, doing two tours, uh, one, of course, uh, with Eurogliders and uh, the odd gig on her own, and then uh, the tour with Wendy Matthews doing the Paul Simon songbook. So uh, yeah, chance to see Grace. Uh, really a lot of good uh, songs. Make sure you make sure you work, go out and see it. Now we're going to finish the the show this week with a not with a uh, Grace uh, song with the Eurogliders or one of her hang, songs. Hang on a sec. Just before you do, Kev, um, mm-hmm. I'd just like to send a cheerio to Bert Newton, um, who's oh, no. lost his leg, um, but they did manage to save his foot, so that's bit. So uh, get well soon, Bert. Mercot's uh, the number there is one three hundred five 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 seven six. I'm leaving that alone. Mercots.edu.au is the uh, the website. If you're not a very good driver, well, you've completely ignored everything we've ever said because you you think you're better than you are. Yeah, you're shit. 
But if you're someone who knows that you could be a better driver, a safer driver, a more alert driver, someone who thinks about the other people on the road, not just about yourself, then you need to talk to Murcotts because they will help you out. Driving is a lot like ballroom dancing, Kev, in that with ballroom dancing... It can always be better. The dance is never complete. Oh, it's good always point. can be better. And I think with driving, you might be okay driver, but you could be better. And that's yeah. the thing. It can always be better. The search for perfection yeah. is uh, is never ending. That's right. It's all right. It's um, it's not a destination you often achieve, but you have to travel the journey. Exactly. We're starting yeah, to get really philosophical and sound like sound like we're reading Hallmark cards, don't what a we? Shit, one three hundred five 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 seven six is Murcott's number. Murcott's.edu.au. Hey, going to finish with a song we talked about in one of our earlier episodes when we had Paul Field from uh, the Wiggles. He was the man behind the Wiggles uh, empire, and of course, was a member of the Cockroaches. And you just kept talking about how much money you must have made. You know, couldn't concentrate. Well, on meeting the music. meeting the Rolling Stones. <laughs> in Hong Kong and all that sort of stuff that he did too. He did some great stories. Yeah. No, but he talked about the uh, one of the songs on the album, which has just been released. Um, the album's out and about, but he's done a version of an old bird song, which is a, a Bob Dylan song originally, with Jimmy Barnes, recorded in Jimmy's uh, studio. Barnes, go down! It's called uh, you, you Ain't Going Nowhere. Uh, it's an old bird song. They've done a very, you ain't very going good nowhere. Song. Okay. <laughs> A very good version. I'm gonna sing along with it, okay? <laughs> okay, that's fine. We'll. I got a new book out. Yes, okay. Oh, jeez. Uh, thank you, Brian. Uh, have a lovely. Uh, I'm gonna call you up when I'm on the toilet, Kev. We have much. <laughs> Can you? He would frighten it out of you. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> you wouldn't you have to push it all. He'd just yell at you and jump out. <laughs> Of its own accord. Finally, got to talk about some bowels at no, the end of the show. Good, you yeah, we kept we kept it to the end. Uh, uh, to the end, <laughs> see what you did. The <laughs> next app will have an international star that we are both very excited oh. about because it, it is memories of our childhood and uh, oh. also great musical memories. Oh, look, it's a good thing. I'm really wearing my stretch denim for that one because yep. um, I'm really like you know I was super excited about Alice Cooper and you know most of our guests. Yep, um, all of them, but um, this. One. This is a beauty, Kev. It's a ripper. It'll be good fun. Uh, let's excited. finish with Paul Field and, uh, and Barnsley together and we'll uh, talk to you next time on Life of Brian. Dot, 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 Mannix, that is. Thanks to Murcotts. Jimmy Barnes says see you later. Okay. <laughs>
Just kings supplied with sleep. We'll climb that hill no more. 